Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Okay, that's over with. Now Christmas. That was quick, wasn't it? Yeah. I got to tell you this. I had to, they're sending me from the back video production room now. And I walked out and walked right into the curtain. Just right into it. Scared me to death. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh. Somebody just attacked me. That was funny. Are you ready for Christmas? Yeah, that's about what I expected there. I, I am. I love everything about Christmas. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to slow down a little bit. I'm ready to spend time at that time with some family, exchange a few gifts, just relax, right? It's the getting there <laughs> that we've we got to get to. But I am looking forward to that, uh, those times about Christmas. I'm ready to celebrate the birth of my Savior. Are you? I mean, that's what it's about, and that's why we uh, set aside a time of the year uh, to, to celebrate his birth and what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will do for us. So excited about that. I'm going to preach a three-week series beginning next week, Christmas series, and it's called His Name, and we're going to look at three distinct names or titles of Jesus. Uh, specifically, the first week, next week, will be uh, Christ. That's actually Greek for Messiah. Messiah used in the Old Testament, Christ in the New. What does that word actually mean or that title or that name actually mean? So we're going to dig into that. Week after that, we're going to look at Emmanuel, God with us. Really dig, dig into that one and then get to Jesus and, and what the name Jesus means and what it means to us. So I hope you plan on coming the next few Sundays. That'll lead us all the way into our Christmas Eve service. Folks, you don't want to miss that. Uh, so we already got it planned out and praying over it. And I know preacher announced it. So plan on being here one hour that evening, Christmas Eve five to six, and then you can go back and and do your family thing that night. Today, I hope you realize that to celebrate the birth of Jesus, which was an absolute miracle, I mean, let me, I say that, but I have to stop. To celebrate the birth of Jesus, the birth of Jesus was a miracle, you know that, right? To do that is an act of worship. Christmas is an act of worship, or at least it should be. It shouldn't be about all the, everything else. It should be an act of worship from us to God because God came to us. And to really think about that and dig into it, uh, uh, an eternal God stooped from heaven and assumed the nature of his creation. Even though we rebelled against him, he still came to die for our sins. He entered this world as a baby and he left this world as the only savior for mankind. That's amazing. And if we're not careful, we'll get caught up in everything else and not really worship God during this Christmas season. So I hope you realize that to celebrate the birth of Jesus is an act of worship. It's a fitting accompaniment then with the angelic host. We read it during the Christmas season. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill to men. They were worshiping and saying that and praising him not only in their proclamation, but they were worshiping, and we should too. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 this morning. I challenge you to make December an entire month of worship of Jesus. I challenge you to do that. We, we spent the last month looking at gratitude. Let's let that roll over into an act of worship and celebrating Jesus. You see, unless one knows Jesus as their personal Savior, the spiritual meaning And definition of Christmas remains a mystery to them. Unless one knows Christ as Savior, the meaning of Christmas, it holds nothing to them. The reality is, for those of us who know Christ as Savior, Christmas 
is a visual manifestation of how we feel and what we do daily. For example, right? We sing the song, tis the season to be what? Really? We're just to be jolly during this season? Is that what we believe? Is it? No? Should we be jolly all season long? Jolly is such a good word, isn't it? I love that word, jolly. Hey, you look jolly today. I don't, how about you? I don't throw that one around much, do you? I would think maybe a tis the lifetime to be jolly, right? I mean, that would be more fitting for who we are, to, to an act of worship that God came to us. And so change the words to that song when you're singing it this year. Just blow some people's mind, would you? And when they say, when they ask, what are you doing? You can explain, right? I'm, I'm going to worship God all year long, not just during this season. Oh, oh, yeah, we need to do that too. Okay, I'm in on that. Christ is the key to Christmas. You know, without Christ, there is no Christmas. It's kind of like inviting somebody to their own birthday or having a birthday party, not inviting the birthday person to their own party. It's like, hey, that was my party, but you didn't invite me. <laughs> Christmas is about Christ and the Son of God and God becoming man and him coming to us and, and we celebrate that and, and then we leave him out of it. That doesn't make any sense. So I don't want you to miss the implications of this. We celebrate God becoming man. Now chew on that for a minute. We celebrate God, God becoming man. Try to understand that for just a second. Try to wrap your hand around that just a second. We worship, we celebrate God becoming man. The only belief system in the world where God came to us because we could not save ourselves. Every other belief system says that they have to work their way to God, but our God knew that wasn't possible, so he came to us. God became man to reconcile us back to himself. That's an amazing thing. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 5. 6 is going to, well, it's not going to be up there yet, but in, in what you're looking at, what you're reading. Verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Verse 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, what's the context of Philippians chapter 2 right here? God had, the Holy Spirit wrote through the Apostle Paul to the believers in Philippi, and he was instructing them once again, not only on who Christ was, but representing and reminding them of, of where he was now and, and the power that, that Christ had. He's instructing them. He tells that Jesus coming to earth and also his future position in heaven. You do know this morning, this is a question, you do know this morning that Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem, right? You know that? Shake your head yes or no. Just making sure we're together. 
His birth was not the founding of his life. Jesus existed before that late night birth as a human being in that cave in Judea. He existed before that. How do I know that? Because Colossians chapter 1 tells me, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Now, contextually, this is talking about Jesus. So I'm going to change the pronouns here to Jesus. In whom we have redemption through Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Jesus all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things exist. He did not begin in Bethlehem. He existed before he came in the form of an infant and was born human. Before the earth was created, Jesus was there. On day one of creation, Jesus was there. On day seven of creation, hey, Jesus was still there. When Lucifer tried to ascend and overthrow the throne of heaven, guess who was there? Jesus was. When Adam received the breath of life, Jesus was there. When Eve was created, Jesus was there. When David tended his sheep in Bethlehem on the mountainside, Jesus was there. When the prophets foretold of the coming Messiah, about the Christ, about Emmanuel, about Jesus, Jesus was there in the foretelling of that. Hey, when, when his parents were born, when Mary and Joseph were born, were little infants, Jesus existed. He was there. Jesus is as much God as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, and they have always existed. But this God who loves us so much came to this earth. So let's walk back through a little bit of Philippians 2. Because if you look at verse 7, it says, but made himself of no reputation. So God, God with us, God Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, came to earth, born as an infant, born as a child, and made himself of no reputation. That simply means that he emptied himself of his display of deity. It's not that Jesus did not remain divine, but he made the decision to limit himself by becoming human. So what we're going to do this morning quickly in the verses we just read in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to find two elements that I want to focus on. The first, verses 6 through 8, is the humiliation <laughs> Of God. And then we're going to look at verses 9 through 11 and talk about the exaltation of God. So let's, let's look at the humiliation of Jesus first. In order to realize the depth of our Lord's humiliation, we must consider the height from which he came. Now let your imagination go. And I love to do this. If you've heard me speak any at all or any length of time, you know I, I like to read the scriptures, sit back, and try to put myself in a position and go back culturally or in that setting and put real human beings in it and, and try to picture what is happening. And, and can you let your imagination take you to a place that seems unimaginable yet real, which would be heaven? Okay, that, that place we're looking forward to going, that perfect place where there's no more tears, no more crying, no more hospital beds, right? No more sickness, no more anything. That, that place, can you go there just for a second? Can you even try to get there? That Jesus was in this perfect place and he stepped off his throne and he took off his royal robe and he took that crown off his head and he sat it down and he came to this earth this sinful place as a baby 
can, can you let yourself go there a little bit? Seeing him, him leave that splendor, to see Jesus Christ, the Son of God, leaving that place to come here? See, it's amazing that our Lord left his place of glory and honor and took upon himself the form of humanity. It's po- I don't know if it's even possible, but we can try, right, to comprehend the truth that God became man. God became man. He left all of that to come for you and for me, for the, for the world, for humankind, for his own creation. Our finite minds, with all its limitations, we struggle with envisioning that, yet we know it's true by faith. I remember reading about the time that, that Jesus, where they went into to town. <laughs> I'm going to really dumb this down, okay? They went into town, and, and they started heading back, and, and he stayed behind, and they didn't even know it. They didn't realize it till later. But they went back and found him in the temple. You remember that story? And, and it's sitting among the scholars of the land and the learned men of the land. And, and, and I have to do this, right? I have to go to, what, what would their conversation been? What it could have possibly been about? Now, this is me, okay? This is not scripture. I'll make that very clear. But, but in Robbie's mind, my little pea brain, small mind, I think, what would that conversation look like? Maybe he's sitting there and the, the elders and the scholars and the learned people of the day are, are talking about things and, and, and he chimes up and says something and they think, who's, who's this boy? And so they, they turn to him and, and maybe the conversation went something like this. Hey, tell us your name. And Jesus looked at him and said, well, on my mother's side, my name is Jesus. But on my father's side, my name is Emmanuel. And being learned and knowing the Greek and knowing what that meant, they knew that meant God with us. And they're going, what? What did what, what, he say? Maybe they went on to say, okay, how old are you? And Jesus looked at him and said, well, on my mother's side, I'm 12. But on my father's side, I'm from eternity to eternity. What is going on here? Who's this, who's this boy? And maybe they asked him another question, something like, where'd you come from? And he said, on my mother's side, I came from Bethlehem. On my father's side, I came from the very portals of heaven. Okay, now we're bordering on blasphemy, right? This 12-year-old boy. That's where we're going. That's where this thing's heading. Maybe one more question came out before they just, you know, before the parents walked in and said, why did you not come with us? And he said, I must be about my father's business. What are your future plans for this, for yourself? Well, on my mother's side, I plan on dying for your sins. But on my father's side, I plan on being raised again after three days. Can you just imagine the look on those men seated around Jesus that day? What is this boy talking about? See, they really couldn't comprehend what he's talking about because to comprehend it, you have to believe. If you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus, that he was the Son of God, that he is the Son of God, that the Son of God came as an infant, that he lived 33 and a half years, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again from the grave, if you don't believe that, Christmas makes no sense to you. It just doesn't. For our God to become a man for us, to suffer the humiliation of taking on flesh, to adopt the limitations of being human, is one of the greatest proofs we have of how much God loves us. To leave what he left and be humiliated like he was when he was here in the flesh. See, the way in which our Lord came further expresses his humiliation. You know, Christmas is a celebration of the Lord's birth. But understand, Jesus, he didn't come in a blaze of light, right? Astounding the entire world. He did not come as a a famous general to overthrow Rome. He didn't come as the wisest philosopher to take on the Grecians. (laughs) He came as an infant. 
Now, I, we have a, a one-month-old grandson and a four-month-old grandson. They don't do a lot right now. They do basically two things. Do I need to fill you in on what they do? <laughs> Actually, they do three because they're pretty good boys. Right? They cry. They dirty diaper. And they don't do anything. Right? They're fine. They're happy. They smile. They whatever. Right? They do those three things. Everything has to be done for them. Jesus didn't come in a blaze of light. He didn't come fully grown. He could have. He came as an infant, helpless, choosing the form of a man, choosing to limit himself. Being born a baby is absolutely remarkable because, again, he could have been born and with marble walls and marble floors and fine linen and had it really good, but he wasn't. He could have appeared as a full-grown man, but he didn't. He could have grown up in honor and glory, but he chose the life of a carpenter's son. If you want to see how much God loves you, if you really want to worship during this Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas, that God came to be with us, all you have to do is look in the eyes of baby Jesus in that manger. That's how much God loves you the humiliation that he took upon. And one other aspect of the humiliation was his public ministry. He didn't present himself to the high priest of the temple of Jerusalem. Jesus didn't seek out the eminent rabbis or the learned scribes. Who did Jesus seek out during his public ministry? He sought out those companions and disciples who were poor and common, the average and unwanted. When he began his public ministry, he didn't go to the palace of Herod and call the learned scholars or to the mansion of the governor. He went to the streets of the ordinary, the gutters of the wretched, the wells of the harlots, the communities of skid row bums, the rejected by society, the crooked and unloved, the sinners just like us. That's who he went to. And he endured the cruelest and most degrading of all deaths. Look at verse 8 in our text. It says he was obedient to the point of death. But then it says even the death of the cross. And you really dig into that and study it. The cross was the most humiliating and degrading of deaths at that time. He not only died for us, but even died for us on a cross. He humiliated himself, allowed himself to be humiliated that much. Because he loves us that much. Yet even in his death, you get that, I just can't. Even in his death, there was not a bitter word that came out of his mouth. Even in his death, there was not one tone of sarcasm that came out. Not even to the priest who implemented his crucifixion. Nor the Roman governor who sentenced him to die. Nor the Roman soldiers who beat and abused him. He was, as Isaiah 53 says... Oppressed and afflicted, yet opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers are silent, so opened he not his mouth. All we have to do is look to Calvary and see as he hangs between heaven and earth to get a glimpse of the humiliation the Son of God took on for us. The Son of heaven, the Son of man is suffering, bleeding, dying for our sins. And then Jesus declares, the Son of God, God and man says it is finished. You know what that meant? That meant the humiliation is now over. I've allowed my own creation to humiliate me. I have humbled myself. I made myself of no reputation. Degraded myself as the son of God. 
even though you don't understand why I'm doing this. But there came a point in time where the Son of God said, it is finished. The humiliation is now over. Our sins have been paid in full, and the degradation of God is now done. And thankfully, folks, that's not the end. Thankfully, we don't stop. The story doesn't end there. The humiliation of Jesus was horrible, and it was terrible, and it was truly unimaginable to our thinking. But that's not the end, because after the humiliation came the exaltation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And while I understand that what Jesus went through was humiliating, I can't comprehend it necessarily, but I, I try to, I get a glimpse of it. While I understand that and the degradation that, that God went through and that the humiliation he went through, I do not rejoice in that. How about you? I, I, don't, I don't shout it from the rooftops about the humiliation that God went through for my sins. I don't do that. But I do stand here this morning to tell you that when Paul says in verse 9, thank God also has highly exalted him, I can shout that from the rooftops. That on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave for my sins. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he now is being exalted back to his rightful place Therefore, God also has highly exalted him. The exaltation of Jesus began at his resurrection. It continued in his ascension, and it was finished in his glorification in heaven. Now, I can just imagine, again, this heavenly scene. We cover the humiliation of him stepping off his throne. Can you, for a brief second, imagine him going back? What would that look like? Again, I, I, just, I just think as he's ascending, right? Acts chapter one and two, he's ascended back up into his rightful place. As he arrives back in heaven, what happens? Every creature there bows down to worship him. And he walks up to his father. And his father picks up the robe that he willingly laid down. And he places it back on the shoulders of his son. And he takes the crown that he removed as the Son of God. And the Father places it back on that scarred brow. And then he sits down at his rightful place, no longer limited by being human, no longer limited by being man. He is now fully and 100% without the humiliation of being a man. His rightful place beside the throne of God the Father. Hmm. Now the honor that he deserves is his again. Now the glory that he willingly cast aside is restored. The power of being the almighty God is once again laid at his feet without the limitation of being human. While I do not know for certain, I do feel that the angels and the redeemed might have started singing a song right there. Maybe, maybe the words went something like this, right? All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him what? Lord of all. Maybe they broke out in a chorus of songs, something like that, in heaven when he came back. Paul goes on with the exaltation in our text and says, and given him the name which is above every name. You know why people don't like the name of Jesus? Because there's power in that name. You have to do something with that name. 
Who is Jesus? Everybody has to do something with that. There's power in it. In our text in verse 10 and 11, look at it with me. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His name is above all names. See, from the angels of heaven to the fallen angels of the abyss from the cherubims and seraphims of glory to the demons of hell itself from an atheist to a believer from an Australian to an American from the rich to the poor from the known to the unknown from the one who is crying out the one who's filled with pride from the lonely the broken the hurting the outcast the prideful the arrogant the selfish one day every knee will bow and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord Our, our text says things of heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth. What's under the earth? Hades, hell. Jesus went from a manger to a throne so we could go from a lost sinner to a child of God. Jesus went through the humiliation, the degradation of God, becoming man so he could once again be exalted providing salvation to his own creation. And Jesus humbled himself so we would humble ourselves. Jesus was, is, and always will be the one and only Savior of the world. We must remember the humiliation of the Son of God to truly be able to worship who he is, exalted in his rightful place. So our text, I don't want you to miss this. It says every knee will bow, and every tongue confess. See, here's the thing. It will happen. It will happen. When it happens, we have a choice right now in this aspect. If we would say that we're all sinners and that we're in need of a Savior, and that we believe that, that Jesus Christ was and is the Son of God, that he came and he sacrificed himself on that cross as a sinless sacrifice for your sins and for mine, if we would, we would go, wow, that, that's me and that's what God did for me. There has to be a bowing. There has to be a surrender on every one of our parts. There has to be a time in our life where we ask Jesus Christ Believe in him as savior of the world and ask him to be our savior. You don't get that from attending a church service. You don't get that from reading the word of God by itself. You don't get that kind of relationship or that kind of salvation or that kind of assurance of going and being with him in heaven one day. You don't get that from, from being a good person. You only get that when you surrender and bow to who Jesus is. That's the only way that comes. God humiliated himself. The Bible says he became sin for us so that we don't have to pay for our sins in eternity in hell. That we can believe in Jesus. He is Lord. We can bow now. We can confess who he is now and know that when death comes, we'll spend eternity with him. See, think about this. You ever thought about this? We don't get to choose when we die. We all are going to die. We don't get to choose whether we die or not. Every one of us is going to die. Jesus chose to die. He chose to die. 
He didn't have to. He's God. So I have a question for you and for me today. Every student that's here, you're visiting with us, you came in and visited family and they said, come to church with me. I have a question for you. Every adult, every grandma and grandpa, I have a question for every one of us here today. Have you already bowed to Jesus as Lord and Savior? Have you already surrendered? Because if you haven't, you will do it one day when it's too late. You will bow, recognize him, and spend eternity in hell then. And that's too late. Has there been a point in time in your life now where you've surrendered to who Jesus is and he is now your Lord and Savior because you've bowed to him? Have you done that? What are you going to worship this Christmas if you haven't done that? Would you bow your head with me, please?